and welcome to the Day 3 Podcast. The whole team is here and we have a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get to it and introduce to everybody. I'm Marcos, as always, and here with me this week we have Brian. Hello. And then Will. Yo, yo, what's up? And Dalton. Hey. And we have a lot to get to this week. We're going to be talking about combat math and how to swing at your opponent and make them do all the math, because why should you? But first, we're going to talk about something near and dear to every Magic player's heart, bannings. Among all the craziness that happened this week, and we'll get to that a little bit later on, uh, we had some bannings at the beginning of this week to talk about. Uh, first off, we're only going to touch on a few of them. Nobody really cares about the brawl bannings or whatever. Uh, but based off of our history with Historic, let's talk about Field of the Dead being unsuspended in Historic. How do you guys feel about that? I am, uh, to be completely honest, I knew a lot of cards went away in Historic. I had absolutely no idea what a suspension was. And I just assumed that those cards had been banned because, in my opinion, it made no difference, right? The cards were gone and that's what mattered. Right. But reading their article and realizing that these cards were more or less on probation, they weren't capable of being played, but they weren't actually gone. I know there are some mixed feelings out there about it. I'm very excited for Field of the Dead to come back, but I'm also pretty intrigued by this idea of a suspended list. Yeah, you and I have to have differing opinions on this. I'm I was originally very much against the idea of a suspension list because it's like it felt like the idea of banning, but like, oh, we're not really sure. Like, so we're going to have the option for a take back if we mess up on this or overreacted. Mm -hmm. But you had a pretty good thought process on that, though. Yeah. And you also have to consider the fact that Historic is such a unique format in that it doesn't follow a specific schedule for what cards join it. There's no set release that creates it. It's literal, you know, historic dumps or the, what is it, iteration two or version two. Anthology two, that's the one. And so it's very hit or miss as to whether or not these cards are going to be there. For example, Field of the Dead, the reason it's getting unsuspended is because they specifically mentioned that in Anthology 2, they included cards like Ghost Quarter and Goblin Rune Blaster, cards that are more than capable of dealing with problematic cards. Whereas Oko, Thief of Crowns, Veil of Summer, and Once Upon a Time are probably going to be so uninteractive anyways They're the worst. that just permanently getting rid of them seems like the best idea. Yeah, I could see that. Plus, then you also have to factor in all the wild cards and all that. Okay, from what I understand of the suspension thing, it's specifically a card will go on suspension and be under review until the next anthology comes out. So basically, suspension is like, hey, we're going to give it three months to see if we can find something to fix this, or we're just going to get rid of it. You know, like they got rid of Oko, Veil, and Once Upon a Time, because you can't fix that level of brokenness. <laughs> Shouldn't they be no. doing that anyway at the Bannon Restricted updates? Like just a wholesale view, at least of some of the more controversial members of the banned list for each of the formats. Free Splinter Twin, right? That's not what I said. 
Not those words. <laughs> However. How dare you put the words I was thinking into my mouth. <laughs> Although I think I kind of come around to Dalton's point of view on this because the turnaround time for them to fix something in Historic is really just the next anthology set. They proved that with Ghost Quarter. And they're like, okay, Field of the Dead isn't that bad if you can Ghost Quarter it. So just give them Ghost Quarter. With Paper, though, anything that has to worry about finding a fix in the next set release well by the time that they can make a change to it it's basically a year out from happening and for some cards that might be the entirety of the time that they're going to be in standard like anything in m19 like veil of summer or m20 like veil of summer is going to be gone by the time they print the answer for it by what would be m21 i suppose i could see why they do this for a digital only format as opposed to a paper format yeah yeah but i think we can all agree that the demise of Oko once upon a time in Vale. Ah, what a sweet, sweet day. <laughs> it's official. They're banned in almost everything. Awesome. What else do we have? So I, I heard that there is another card that was banned on the Magic the Gathering arena platform. And I don't think anyone really cared. Eh, Golos Wait, is dumb. Eh, Golos is gone and brawl. Womp, womp, I guess. Wait, that's a real uh, format still? Crickets. Yeah, still a Only real if you format. Pay for it. <laughs> Only on Wednesdays, and we're recording this on Thursdays. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. <clears throat> Doesn't exist. So they said that Golos uh, has risen to be about 10% of Brawl decks, and the fact that it is a five-color commander circumvents deck building restrictions, and that its ability to tutor out specific lands is a way of cheating the singleton format. Therefore, goodbye. But Command Commander would like some words with you. Yes. So Golos is down in Brawl. Oko Once and Vale are all done in Historic. We do have some changes to the more Eternal formats, though. And I think these were both pretty big. To be completely honest, I did not see the one coming in Modern. Uh, we have lost Once Upon a Time. Grr. It's about time. And it's not that I'm surprised it's a card that was banned. I definitely just assumed they'd let the problem persist longer. <laughs> I mean, modern has become degenerate combo dot format, so... Exactly. So why did we bother banning it? It's fine. Because every deck that could play creatures started playing Once Upon a Time. Because these dirty degenerate spaghetti monster players just jammed for Once Upon a Time in their deck. With no way to cast it. Yeah. Actually, no. We, we, we started adding... Uh, Hashep Oasis. Oh, Ooh. that's saucy. Okay. Whereas the real shining light of Once Upon a Time, Amulet Titan, suffered yet another ban. And all I can think of is like Watsy looking at Amulet of Vigor and or Primeval Titan and just going, how many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say the ban for Amulet Titan and Once Upon a Time being removed from that deck is fine we've suffered worse bannings it genuinely just means we go back to ancient stirrings and maybe start throwing karn back into the deck a little bit for some more toolboxy grindy stuff and that's about it like genuinely not the worst although i am sad now that i have four once upon a times in foil that i have nothing to do with anymore Bring them to Legacy. You know, yes. I've said it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If you cannot view buying magic cards as basically setting the money on fire, you cannot afford to buy said magic cards. 
oh, I'm not worried about the money. I'm worried about shiny cards that I can't play. Oh, yeah, no, I get you there. <laughs> I burned that money a long time ago. But yeah, not unexpected, I suppose. But it was the right call. Wizards really should just learn that casting spells for free that do things and give you any kind of consistency is bad. So stop doing it. I- I'll pay for these things. Like, I have all the man in the world. That's fine. So. Dude, they had to ban Get Probe, which did basically nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It did Storm Count plus one cantrip. Or no, no. that I can combo off with Infect. Exactly. That was the true power of Get Probe was going, hey, you can't stop me. You're dead. Yeah. And then on the Eternal format discussion, we also had Underworld Breach being banned in Legacy. Not anywhere else which we'll get to in a second, notably not Pioneer, but in Legacy, Underworld Breach is no longer a thing. Have any of you seen how degenerate that deck was in Legacy? Which deck? Yes. The Yawgmoth's Will deck? (laughs) Yeah, all of them. Yes, got it. Yeah. Yeah, Legacy was like, hey, this is Legacy. This is what the format is. Underworld Breach, cool. Everybody's playing Underworld Breach now. Shave a mana off my Yawgmoth's Will? Sure, why not? Oh, my card just go back to my graveyard instead of into the exile? Yeah, boy. Not much else to say on that. I'm not a legacy player much anymore, and I've heard from enough consistent legacy players that it was a bad idea and a bad deck and bad for the format, so good riddance. Wait, you mean degenerate turn one combo decks are bad? Do you think that's the fastest they've ever banned a card in legacy? Yes. I, I believe think so. so. Yeah, it's been, I'm what, just surprised they still bother. months? Yeah, I'm I'm just surprised they still bother keeping up with the Legacy BNR considering they don't like to support it in any other way. Well, that's the only <laughs> reason it got banned in Legacy and not in formats that people actually play in paper. Ooh. <laughs> and great segue into Pioneer. No changes. What? Collective groans from the audience. We hear Island's you. still legal. <laughs> so like we talked about ideas for what could be banned a lot of people have been talking about dig through time or just straight up inverter or thassa's oracle maybe even underworld breach or lotus field because of the consistency of that deck although tournament results are showing that it's nowhere near as consistent as it once was because of the existence of damping sphere so maybe this was right what do you guys think i'm fine with them not banning the lotus breach combo yet I still think it will need to be banned because it forces you to play specific interaction, which damping sphere, ley line, people can play, everybody can play those, whatever. But it still narrows down, like, you know, what you can do with your sideboard and what you have to do. But it's easy yeah. to hate out. The inverter decks, though, you're playing a good deck and then putting a combo finisher in it. Fella Dark Guardian still banned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like some consistency would be nice that's all i'm saying and and objectively the sahili the sahili cat deck was worse overall except for the combo whereas the inverter combo deck is basically blue black control with the combo finish so i hear you there but i think one important aspect that might be altering why the win rate for inverter is much lower than we expect is that the mono white devotion decks have started realizing that, okay, well, we can't cast Metaline Mage in this format, but we do have things like Gideon's Intervention that just outright stops a card from being able to be cast. And that gives them plenty of time to start getting in under 
whatever they're doing and just beat them down with Heliods and all that stuff. So maybe with that kind of interaction, it's okay. I don't know. I mean, know but do you really want to be forced to play cards like that to stop a deck? Like, I think, yes, I'm okay with it. I don't want to, but I think it's acceptable because it's not a dead card in every matchup. Like you have in Gideon's Intervention, you always have something that you can name off of it as long as you're relatively familiar with what your opponent's playing. So it's not the worst card. I, I think a lot of people were very surprised because basically once Wizards announced that they were going to be announcing bannings, everybody went straight to, okay, something's happening in Pioneer. What's it going to be? Didn't really care much about other formats, except I think a few people mentioned Legacy and Underworld Breach. But but at that point, no Pioneer bannings happened, and now everybody's like, oh, okay, I guess we're good through the Players Tour Finals, which is Pioneer, so okay, great for them. Yeah, go. Please open up more Theros Beyond Death so you can crack your Thassa's Oracles and your Underworld Breaches. Then we'll ban it. You think that's what they're doing? All right, tinfoil hat guy. You know I mean, what? It sells packs. You're not wrong. I mean, how long did they wait to ban Oko in Standard? Exactly. <laughs> Way too f***ing. Yep. <laughs> right, right until about the point where they stopped, you know, really selling Eldraine packs and were shifting over to Theros Beyond Death. It might be overly cynical, or maybe it's just regular amount of cynical. Ooh. I can't ever tell amount. with me. All right, well, with that banning talk out of the way, get back to Brewing and Pioneer. And we'll get on to our main topic, which this week is another one of our Back to Basics episodes going into combat math. We will see you afterwards for the weekly segment of the week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Day 3 podcast. Don't untap those non-basics because... We are back to basics. So, I don't know about you all, but my favorite quote pertaining to our favorite card game states that math is for blockers. Yes. Yep. Can verify. Can verify? Yep. Sweet. <laughs> With science. There are few better feelings than swinging those creatures sideways, knowing that your opponent is dead no matter what they do. And watching them try to squirm and figure out exactly how to not be dead. This topic seems to be right up your alley, Dalton. Oh, yeah. It, I have a single alley in this game. This is it. Hello. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> now, see, the trick is you just make sure that your board or your creatures are big enough that the number is large enough. You don't really need to count. It's just like it's like 40 or more. It's fine. Yeah. It's like the Grixis Death Shadow math, you know? You have a 12-12 double strike trample. You're probably fine. <laughs> Somewhere there's Seems an arbitrarily large number of pestermites crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we are talking about math and we are talking about blockers because today's episode is all about combat math. And contrary to what my favorite quote says, math is for more than just blockers. There's plenty of it in this game, whether that's in combat, casting spells to try to get things done, or a combination of multiple things, chances are you have to do quite a bit of work to figure out what's going on during your game. And we're going to take a dive into that today. But Dalton, math is hard. Can I just play on instinct? 
Uh, you can. Yep. You may not win as much, but you oh. can. I'm but not I want to win more. But I don't want to do math. I played a game of Arena. I think uh, opponent was playing on Instinct, and uh, he got slaughtered. So, in your opinion, what do you think the most important aspect of combat math is, Marcos? I know that you, as an expert on Amulet Titan, have had to do your fair share of mathematical gymnastics to try to figure out if you have lethal. Would that be a That's fair assessment? That's putting it lightly. <laughs> That's putting it very lightly, because... I very much look like the meme with like formulas floating around my head as I'm sitting there <laughs> trying to add up how much mana do I have? Do I have enough to double strike this turn? If I do, how much is going through their blockers? Can I have lethal this turn? And I think that boils down to the most important part. Can I win this turn? Uh, because basically anything else doesn't matter. Like everything else, if you cannot win this turn, uh, leads you down way different branching trees. But if you can win this turn, that's the number you want to focus on first. Yeah, obviously, if we can end the game here, you don't have to take the time to figure out, you know, will they be able to leave anything up? Are they going to have the ability to kill me on the backswing? What's it going to take? What do I have to prep for? And if the game ends, well, you're not prepping for a whole lot. You're you're already onto your sideboard plan for this next game, hopefully. So Do they still publish possibility storm puzzles? Is that a thing? Yeah, I think they do. I think that's a CFB thing now. Okay. Yeah, they got officially sponsored. Oh. Which is well. awesome. Yeah. We have a a few friends of the shows are the ones that put out those possibility storm puzzles. So if you're ever looking to make yourself a little bit better at combat math, they're definitely worth a shot. And we can probably include a link to those in our show notes for this episode. So, Marcos, obviously with something like Amulet Titan, and I do the same thing with uh, my Nihilist, you always have to figure out, do you have lethal? Can you win this turn? Do you have any sort of steps or, like, what what does your brain go through to try to figure that out? Because for me, it's pretty much just count up the amount of damage I have in my hand and then go from there. But when you're running something like an Amulet Titan list or even some of these newer adaptations, you can't just look at what's in your hand. You have to know what's coming. You have to be able to account Definitely. for what's what you're drawing, what you're tutoring, any lands you may have that do damage. It gets a lot harder for you than it does for me. Well, harder and easier. So when you're playing with Amulet Titan, the first goal is always get your Titan on the battlefield. And that ends up typically being the route to victory because once you can attack with a primeval Titan, the game ends up being pretty deterministic from there because you're able to tutor up lands that will either blow up your opponent's blockers, blow up your opponent's face, bit out a whole bunch of extra blockers to help you stabilize the board. Because as kind of a... a combat to this and we'll get to this after we go over the whole can i win this turn is uh will i lose next turn <laughs> if i go all out here but focusing specifically on the can i win this turn you have a couple of questions like how many blockers do they have how much toughness do they have since primeval titan has trample how many lands do i have on the battlefield do i have a dryad of the elysian grove turning them all into mountains that lets me send a couple of bolts to their face there's just a lot of things that you have to consider when it comes to uh, finding that line of can you win this turn. First thing being, what's their life total? Are they at a full 20? Are you playing against Grixis Shadow and you basically just have to attack and they're going to scoop up their cards? It really depends on where your opponent is. And I think that's the should be the first 
baseline for basically any deck, just factoring in, are they at 20 or are they at five? That's going to be your first Mm -hmm. data point, really. Sure. Brian and Will, any thoughts and considerations? Marco's covered it pretty well there. Yeah, I mean, just just trying to find a line of of if you can win that turn is is pretty essential to the combat math because you don't want to swing in and end up with some bad trades or something if you're not going to win, so... Of course. Sometimes the combat math ends up being, I don't have any combat math this turn because if I do, I'm just in a bad spot. And and I think a big part of that is recognizing when it's worth it to put the effort in to run the math. You know, if you can tell that at your best, you have a basic idea that you can do maybe 12 damage or something like that. You know, I have, I don't know, we'll say two creatures on the battlefield and a couple lightning bolts in hand. I know that I'm not doing more than you know, 12, 13 damage. So just knowing that can make math a lot easier. But then you also get into some of the less intuitive things. This could be, you know, one of my least favorite cards to look at. Worm Coil Engine It's a big 6-6 six, six lifelink Ugh. creature. And something like that makes math way harder because not only do I have to calculate for how much damage I'm doing to my opponent, but I also have to then look at how much damage they are going to gain back how much of my damage will become meaningless because of that lifelink and so combat math becomes more than just okay you know how do i do the most damage to my opponent maybe that spell in your hand is more important than you think maybe your destructive revelry instead of destroying something to get their blocker out of the way maybe you wait for blocks to happen so that you can then destructive revelry their creature in combat and they can't block with a new thing, uh, specifically in that scenario, the the new worm tokens. At a point, worm coil engine is the worst. Like, <laughs> worm coil. <laughs> blue, blue red really like especially pre board. Blue red has not a lot of options to deal with a worm coil engine. Just no, counter it on that. the way down, right? <laughs> Basically. Yeah, and with that, there you bring up a really good point, Dalton, because looking into all your options definitely matters. You know, once you have an idea that you should be able to attack and hopefully get there this turn, you have to be aware of everything. How many onboard tricks are there? Does your opponent have a tap ability that they might be able to tap down one of your attackers that you might not have thought of? Check in on all the activated abilities on the field, both yours and your opponent's. Uh, Think of any ways that you might be able to affect combat in your hand uh, and try to prepare for what your opponent may be able to do to affect combat as well. Because the worst thing in the world is committing to an attack that you're convinced is going to give you lethal, basically going full out to the wall and then getting blown out and killed on the backswing. Exactly. I know, Marcos, you and I have had scenarios, I believe in one of our Running the Gauntlet videos, where... We ended up with zombies on your Amulet Titan game, and you were able to win on the backswing because your opponent didn't account for you having a Field of the Dead zombie. Mm -hmm. And even just the little things like that can make a big difference. You know, your opponent saw that you had a Primeval Titan. They knew that it was tapped, so you couldn't block. They swung in. And I want to say you did, you like cracked a fetch or something. Uh, Probably Secure Tribe Scout to put a land from hand. That's what it was. You weren't running the fetch lands in the shell yet. Sakura Tribe Scout put a land into play, and all of a sudden, you have a blocker. Yep. 
So knowing exactly what is coming, even and, and maybe not exactly, but having a good idea of what your opponent might be doing is going to make this way easier. And that gets back to a lot of what we've talked about before of knowing the game, knowing the matchup and what to expect. But yeah, and knowing your your opponent's decks like this is a big part of why we put so much focus early on on the idea of play as many decks as you can because the more you understand how a game can go when you're playing a deck the more these types of scenarios will come up in mind when you're playing against that matchup for example if i'm ever playing against amulet i know all the tricks that they're going to be playing even if i'm not playing amulet at the time and i have a good idea of what are their lines do i see that they have lethal uh, if they are holding up a secret tribe scout, like, am I worried about them dropping in a bajuka bog or something like that uh, in the middle of combat to shrink a tarmogoyf? Like, you just <laughs> don't see those lines unless you've had the chance to play at least against the matchup enough to be able to see what they can do or at the very least watch other people who are good with the deck play the match to get a better idea of what to expect. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about that a couple times, just watching other people who are very good at the game or with specific decks, just watching them run gauntlets or run leagues or whatever on YouTube. Even if you don't have the ability to play against these people, you can watch these people play. And a lot of times they'll go over their decision process. And so you can kind of get an idea of how to play against that deck. Plenty of good advice in there. So we've talked about trying to figure out whether or not we have the chance to win this turn. But... In calculating that, it's also important to consider what could make you lose this turn. You know, maybe you're hoping to put enough pressure that your opponent feels like they have to make a bad block, and you're trying to get, you know, chip away at their blockers, try to clear up their board so that you can be in a dominating position. But what is it that you might be afraid of? What are those types of things that can really turn your plan on its head, inside out? I actually have a really good example from earlier today. I was playing Teamer Adventures on Arena. Um, I was playing against, oh goodness, green-white enchantments. Yeah. And they, mm-hmm. they'd they got me to a pretty low life total, and I had a beanstalk giant out. It was an 11-11, I think, something like that. It was, it was, it was a pretty big boy. Yeah. Beefy boy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I also had a Lucky Clover and a Fey of Wishes. So I go to my board, Ooh. and I grabbed a Shadow Spear and something else. I think I grabbed a fry to kill one of their Alcyons. But, you know, typically speaking, you know, they had something with an all that glitters on it. It was like an 8-9. Mm-hmm. I had some other, I had some 1-1 tokens I could chump block with. But basically, if that if that thing hit me and they had more enchantments to play, it was going to kill me next turn. Now, what I took the line of doing was if they had a Banishing Light to get rid of my Beanstalk Giant, I lost. Like, I would lose the next turn. Pretty, more than likely, or a couple of turns from then, because I was pretty much out of gas at that point. So I equipped the Shadow Spear up on my Beanstalk Giant, hit them for 11 or 12, whatever, gained all that life back, went up to 15, and yeah, they had a Banishing Light the next turn and took care of my Giant. So Ugh. that was definitely, that was definitely, a lot of people would have stayed back to block to disincentivize their opponent from attacking, but that's more... I don't know that they're both lines not lose, I guess, but I feel like the better line is doing what you can to pad your life total and play around their removal. At least right, that's how that, at that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, because at that point, if they banishing light, like you recognize, they banishing light, you're basically doomed. So at the very least, you got the life from that. You can pad your life total by yourself two or three turns that you wouldn't have had otherwise to find another answer that you can continue to gain. Exactly. And I know one of the scarier things of standards past, and even now with some Teferi shenanigans, we've seen a lot more instant speed mass removal. Uh, the number of times you can, the number of videos you can find on YouTube of watching Saffron Olive get blown out by Settle the Wreckage <laughs> it is pretty astounding and does merit an oof. But yep. why is it so risky to overcommit? Obviously, we can't play around our opponents having Settle the Wreckage all the time. But why would I not want to commit? You know, if if committing helps me play around a removal spell or two, is that worth it? Man, that's a hard question. I'm not that's a, why I gave I'm it not to a, you. <laughs> I'm not a commitment type. Oh, no. I'll <laughs> Man, I feel bad for Deb again. <laughs> I'll just bounce all your creatures and waltz into your face. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to make the calculation, especially if you don't know if your opponent has it for sure, whether to swing in for lethal or perhaps hold back an attacker or two and chance it to wait until next turn. I feel like my biggest thing on the overcommitting, not overcommitting, that type of thing, they're all very situation dependent. You know, like what is your opponent playing? How many cards do they have in hand? What do they have on the battlefield? What cards do you have in hand? You know, because if they have, mm -hmm. if they have like a five mana Tefri on the battlefield as well, you probably kind of just have to go for it. But if they're, you know, if they have an empty board and six cards in hand, I'd say probably play more conservatively because the chances of them having, having that settle the wreckage are very high. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, it's so situation dependent. Sometimes you can't play around it. Sometimes they have six cards in hand and a Tefri on the battlefield, and you just got to go for it because you are empty handed and that's what you got. <laughs> yep. You're crunching the numbers and figuring out, is it more likely that my opponent has this thing? Or is it more likely that, you know, sometimes it's, is it more likely that I just die no matter what? Or Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes your only out is hoping they don't have the out. Truth. And so I, I do want to talk about that for just a second, though, because I know that previously, you know, being a smash face aggro player, is I have been caught in the trap of just saying, oh, well, if my opponent has it, they have it. Why is that so... Marcos, do you have any thoughts as to why that might be such a detrimental mindset for a Magic player? Yeah, I have some thoughts on that. The idea of, well, if they have it, they have it. First of all, it gives you the mentality of not really thinking things through. It almost seems like kind of you copping out to not wanting to think through all the lines because... Let's face it, there aren't that many, and you're kind of grasping for straws at that point. And so it's a lot of times it's just easier to say, well, if they have it, they have it, hit all attack and cross your fingers. But one of the big things for me as to whether or not I want to really commit a lot of my board to an attack comes down to just what's the clock? Uh, and does committing a lot more to this attack help my clock or does it not make a difference? Let's say if I have a Primeval Titan and five zombies on the field, 
does attacking with all of them reduce my clock significantly? Knowing also that if I just attack with the Primeval Titan, I can get two lands and maybe shoot my opponent in the face for six more damage because of some Valakits. If it doesn't alter my clock significantly, I'll hold back on the zombies and leave them back just in case, of course, depending on what the board looks like. But, but you have to think about what the clock is going to be and just how much you're likely to win from the position that you're at now. You know, are you giving your opponent extra turns to draw that out that you're worried about? Sometimes you just have to swing all in because you know if you give them two or three more turns where they can start drawing more cards and filtering through their library, yeah, they're going to have that settled to wreckage the longer you give them. So maybe now is just the time to go all out for it and see if they have it or not. Good. To that, making them have it is very different if it is one of any 15 different removal spells or <laughs> counter spells in their deck. Very true. Or if it's one very specific, very narrow card. Like if they, if you know that they're playing one Settle the Wreckage and that is the only card that saves them in this position, making them have that very specific card is a lot different than making them have generic removal spell for your one attacker. Yeah. True. Good. I like that a lot. I, I definitely have played around my fair share of Settle the Wreckages, but then you just run Grill Spellbreaker, right? Don't care anymore? Game over. Also, yes. Get him. I, I'm sure you've had plenty of historic matches like that, Marcos. Oh, like you could not <laughs> believe. I was always so happy to see a Grill Spellbreaker against any white deck because of Settle the Wreckage. Oh, that card tilts me. <laughs> cool. So we've already gotten a little bit into our next topic, and that's knowing your deck having a solid understanding of what all you have available to you and what either outs you have or what potential draws you have that can win you the game or swing combat in your favor are are going to influence you to be a better player now there are also merits to understanding what it is your opponents might have you know are are there any sort of things that your opponent might run, you know, flash creatures, fogs, stupid Patrick Cobbley with his angel's grace? <laughs> <laughs> what types of things is it that we're we're playing around? What aspects of combat have been most difficult for you to play around? Oh, goodness. Nice big question, right? Yeah. Probably the one that gets me the most is like a first strike plus pump spell or removal spell. It's not so much that it's always like, oh, I forgot about that. It's just sort of like, well, I'm going to block here and they'll trade if they don't have this. Mm -hmm. Gosh, That's I... probably a lot more relevant in like limited uh, draft and mm. sealed mm -hmm. rather than constructed. There's only a couple decks really that play, you know, just giant growth and those types of effects. But I feel like they're a lot more common in limited and creature combat is a lot more relevant in limited formats i remember one of my first fnms i ever played i got partnered up with against a guy who was on jund infect and he, he put out a phyrexian crusader good old three mana two two first strike pro red pro white infect creature and my mind could not grasp <laughs> the interaction of infect and first strike 
and I think I lost three creatures to it over the course of the game because I was just like, oh yeah, and then your thing dies. And he's like, no, your thing becomes a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> I was like, but but it says it has three power. He goes, yeah, it has first strike though. No! Somehow I could oh, not figure that <laughs> one out. it before it deals damage to the creature. Yeah. That's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, for some reason, my mind could not grasp that concept at all. <laughs> Ugh. I, I ended up winning the match, though. I was very happy with that. It was the first FNM I ever won prizes at. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, the one I've gotten people most with um, with my degenerate spaghetti monsters is First Strike and Death Touch, or Trample and Death Touch, I mean, with Reality Smasher. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's definitely been the t- a couple times where it's like, okay, attack you, and they're like, yeah, block, and I'm like, and you die? They're just like, what? It's like, <laughs> it has four toughness, and it has Trample and Death Touch, so deal one to it, four to you, you lose. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I played against that deck on Arena last night. It did not go over well for me. Not Eldrazi Tron, but just the Death Touch No, it was, dudes. it was Green Black, <laughs> it, it Death was Touch, Eldrazi Trample, Trash. Tribal. <laughs> <laughs> They're putting, they put Mind Stone in the Historic Anthology. That's getting there, That's right? That's basically Tron. They did. So one more on that that I've been getting got by a lot is all these random red creatures that happen to have reach mm. that I never read that they have reach. So Oh, you mean Robber the Rich? Robber of the Rich, uh, the Cyclops that has reach. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in like some blue-white flyers deck and just blindly attack in and just throw away one of my creatures for literally no reason because I did not read their, my opponent's cards. So, RTFC. In all fairness, though, Robber of the Rich, you look at it and you're just like, that doesn't have reach. Like, one, it's a tiny human. We have giants that don't have reach. He's hanging upside mm-hmm. down. You can't reach anything while you're upside down. Come on now. It doesn't have reach. It has haste. I, I was going to yeah. make the comment about <laughs> uh, Nylea being a literal humongous archer, and she doesn't have reach. Yep. Yep. She can only shoot downwards. And yet yes. some random cyclops <laughs> just happens to have reach, and you get got by it. So I feel like we've seen a lot more red creatures with reach, Yeah, some Randy two, rando 2-2 two, two rogue. We've seen a lot more yeah. red creatures that have more text than they should. What you mean? Questing beast has words. Well, yeah, questing beast is obviously <laughs> green's not super good right now. It's it's really good, but it's not obscenely good. I mean, I haven't even seen anybody playing questing beast lately. But mono red oh, is yeah. just mono red is just uh. <laughs> so yeah, friendly reminder to read the friendly, friendly card. Cards. Because it will tell you something that you had not accounted for, especially with all these cards that are just stacking lines upon lines of text on there. Mm-hmm. Does this random thing have protection? Does it, you know, is there a Teferi that stops you from actually doing things or a Narset on the field that makes your thirst for meaning say discard two cards? Shame scoop. Ugh. I've genuinely done that before. Is this the appropriate time to glare at the From the Vault Dryad Arbor? <laughs> <laughs> It knows what it did. <laughs> no, you're not wrong, though. Uh, if you watch coverage or, you know, Marcos, I know you and I have seen this plenty as judges of the game. You'll see players that you know to be professionals, players who are in day twos of Grand Prix events or SCG opens, and they'll pick up a card that's just like a two mana two two and they'll read it. It's not because they don't know what it does. It's because they want to make sure they know what it does. 
And ah, the pride cometh before the fall. Aha. But <laughs> no pride, no fall. Got him. Logic checks out. You'll see a lot of people that chances are they know exactly what the card does, but they're still trying to play the game as correct as they can. I, I did this the other night. I was playing against Infect, and I asked my opponent if I could read their Ink Moth Nexus or Blink Moth, whichever one Infect runs, because I wanted to confirm that it became an artifact creature. I was, Very important. you know, 99% sure that it became an artifact creature, but my braid wasn't going to risk it because, you know, they can giant growth out of a braid range or they can... Arcbound Ravager onto it. Exactly. But if I destroy target artifact, you can't outgrow destroy target artifact. So that was me doing my due diligence as a player to give myself as many points as I possibly could towards victory. Yeah, and let me guess that uh, you do that because you've gotten got before because you're like, yeah, this card does this, and it doesn't do that. <laughs> I don't know if I've personally been got. I, I can't think of any glaring stories that come to mind. Not to say it doesn't happen. I by no means will claim to be a flawless player. But, I mean, I guess, in fact, duh, I just said that story. <laughs> uh I just wanted to confirm that I knew what was going on because it had a huge impact. Their card had a huge impact on what I did on my decisions. So I don't want my decisions to be thrown off by something I could easily avoid. So I can't think of anything for certain, but I'm sure I've made at least one or two stupid, foolish, foolish attacks with an instant speed combat trick. Only to realize in about the declare blocker stage that they have a Teferi Hero of Hearthstone out. And I can't actually cast my combat trick and it my mm. creature just gets eaten. Yep. Yep. How many Ember Cleaves stay stranded in my hand because of a Teferi? <laughs> or or how many how many removal spells did you not cast on your turn <laughs> thinking you could do it on their turn? <laughs> yep. Absolutely been there, done that. You know what, Will? Poor Ember Cleave. It's just such an innocent <laughs> artifact. It never no, did anything not. wrong, right? Dude, you were you were literally railing against it like 15 minutes ago. No. Oh, yeah. No, card's dumb. <laughs> but Tefri's worse. Okay. I'll buy it. So, Although you did bring up a good point uh, regarding Trample and Death Touch and all of those weird interactions. What? Why don't we just take a few minutes here and run through some of the most common combat interactions that cause problems. So, obviously, Will mentioned on Trample and Death Touch, in that if a creature has both Trample and Death Touch, it only needs to assign lethal damage to each creature blocking it, uh, and the rest can trample over. Thanks to Death Touch, that amount of lethal damage is one. So, if, yep, if you're 5-5 five, five Spaghetti Monster swinging in and they block it with, you know, a 10-10 creature, you still only have to do the one damage that will trample over the other four. So what else do we need to be aware of, Marcos? What can you help us get better on? Well, trample is one that is always interesting with combat math because of, for example, 
trample and protection is one that comes up quite a lot, especially during limited and things like that, where people ask, so does this just stop all the damage going through? There, again, trample says you have to assign lethal damage, or at least what would be lethal damage to a creature, before assigning the rest. So if you have a creature with protection blocking a creature with trample, expecting it to absorb all the damage and just stop it all out, got some bad news for you, friend. That's not going to work. Uh, same thing goes with indestructible as well. It just has to assign the damage, even if it doesn't actually matter on whether the creature would die or not. The important thing is how much damage you're assigning to it. Is that enough to normally destroy the creature? And then you can move on. Is Trample the most complex of the evergreen abilities? I think it might be. Because I'm not thinking of any others that would be more so. First Strike, I feel like it's pretty straightforward, as is Flying and Defender. What else am I missing? Yeah, uh, of all the other evergreen ones, I mean, Menace just oh, means death touch, two blockers, indestructible. Death Touch is tough. But yeah, Trample is by far the one that typically rises the most questions. Uh, another one that actually comes up a lot with Trample is uh, assigning blocking order, <laughs> which is something that a lot of people don't ever do until it's too late. Uh, this actually came up the other day at uh, my local draft that I was playing. There was a match next to me and a player attacked with their 4-4, I think it was, and the defending player blocked with a 1-1 and a 2-2. And then when, okay, and he specifically asked the order, like, okay, what order are you putting these? And the 4-4 attacker just goes, oh, okay, uh, the 1-1 and then the 2-2. So then the defending player giant growths it, or whatever the giant growth equivalent is for this set, and made it so that, yes. So it made it that the second creature would not die, and the player who was attacking did not understand that much of at all because how often does the order in which you're assigning blockers really matter until somebody goes okay i'm gonna pump the first thing that's in defending order to save the second one and still kill your creature literally only in that scenario yes so uh whenever you have multiple blockers on one attacking creature make sure to assign the order in which you're going to do damage to them because it could and very well uh, will be relevant, especially if your opponent is asking you which <laughs> order do you want to put these blockers in. Yeah, although that really only comes up in paper, right? Uh, Arena and Moto, they force you to assign blocker orders. Yes, very much so. Because that is technically the way the rules are written. Whenever you're blocked by multiple creatures, you do have to assign the order and... There's just no way around that. The problem is, in paper, people just shortcut through that because unless you have a combat trick, literally doesn't matter. And then I know something that I actually got by got got by recently was my opponent on turn three played a Clothis. On turn four played like a Chandra Torchwood Defiance. Turn five, they played a Glorybringer. And then with Chandra's two mana, tossed out like some one mana one one thing incredibly irrelevant save for the fact that that stupid little one one thing turned their clothis <laughs> on yeah and i thought well you know i have blockers for this glory bringer i don't think there's anything other than glory bringer in their deck that has haste and i'm not dead to you know to eight damage 
turned out I was dead to the 11 that Clothis brings in. <laughs> so yeah. that's definitely something to be aware of as well, is just because their thing's not a creature now doesn't mean it's not going to be a creature soon. So yeah, counting devotion matters a lot. Uh, I saw that in the mono white devotion list recently where, you know, that Heliod is just sitting there quietly, maybe with like a 1-1 healer's hawk on the battlefield. But then they drop Linden and all of a sudden you're getting smashed for a whole lot more because of attack triggers with lifelink and putting counters on things and that Heliod coming at you out of nowhere. Well, and the opposite's true too. If you're depending on that Heliod to block and they kill one of your random dorks and suddenly he gets turned off, you're in a world of hurt. Oh yeah. Yeah. So definitely be aware of all the different interactions on board when trying to figure out your blockers. Attack triggers are another big one. So if you're on the receiving end, don't forget to play around your opponent's attack triggers. If you're on the attacking end, don't forget your triggers. <laughs> because those can definitely make a difference. Don't forget to kill their things before they declare attackers so they don't get attack triggers. Yes. Looking at you, Robber the Rich, again. Ooh, there is a <laughs> there's a start of combat step. Yep. Where that's probably the best place to do it. It was very relevant, I think, most recently in Kaladesh, either revolt with the vehicles, and that's the the last time to crew vehicles if you want the vehicles to attack. Yep. Yep. There's also some importance there with standard legal card Legion War Boss, mm. in that yes. if you do not want them to get their token, if you don't want that 1-1 one, one goblin to be created then you have to destroy the Legion War Boss in the pre-combat main phase. Because as soon as you enter the combat phase, they get that goblin. So the rules around this have also been set forth as such that if you say go to combat and I say, okay, I'm going to kill your Legion War Boss, it is assumed that I am acting in the pre-combat main phase. So yep. be aware of that for all players. You know, if you don't want their goblin, make sure you clarify. If you do have the goblin, if you're trying to get your own goblin, then you will want to know that just because your opponent didn't say, you know, before combat or something doesn't necessarily mean the judge would rule in your favor because there's precedent otherwise. And by precedent, I mean the rules. Yep. Yeah, there's a bunch of people trying to angle shoot and stuff in the Kaladesh block with the Toolcraft Exemplar, Heart of Kieran, and those interactions. So then another thing to keep in mind is also what are your limitations when it comes to your attacks? Uh, cards like Ensnaring Bridge in Modern and Ghostly Prison in Modern. Even things like Gideon Jura, the one that forces all of your creatures to attack Gideon if able on the next combat. All of these can absolutely mess with your combat math and your combat plans, uh, especially if you weren't preparing for them or did not pick a line that allows you to play around those types of abilities. Our final point for this episode is not only knowing how much you have to attack with, but also knowing where to point that damage. I want to say three FNMs ago I played... I got paired up against a Jund player. They had the turn two Renin six, the turn three Liliana of the Veil, and were so happy and everything was wonderful and perfect for them until my Boros Charm killed their 
their Renin Six, and my Boros Charm killed their Liliana, and things were not great for them. However, Oof. I got down to the end of the game, and I could not figure out how to get my last three points of damage in against my opponent. And I realized that all of those removal spells that I pointed at their Planeswalkers, looking back in hindsight, those walkers weren't achieving anything. My opponent hadn't played any fetch lands prior to the Renin Six. They hadn't cycled any lands away. They didn't have the mana to do it on that turn. Maybe they could get, you know, some sick value from the Lily Plus, pitch a land, pick it back up. But honestly, all of the energy and the resources that I pointed at their Planeswalkers, if I just pointed it at face, I could have won that match. And actually... The other night playing at FNM, I got partnered up against a different Jund player. And was like, let's test this hypothesis. Didn't point a single <laughs> removal spell at the Planeswalkers. Science! And 2-0'd them uh, on turn four each game. Like, by just directing all of my damage to where it would, you know, quote-unquote really matter, I had a significantly better matchup against the archetype than I ever thought I had. And I think it's because I wasn't sure I wasn't playing optimally in terms of combating planeswalkers. Additionally, Jund has this habit. It's like, it's probably the second best deck in all of modern at hurting itself. It certainly can be, yeah. Like, they could easily bring themselves down to 15 on turn one on the play with Fetch, Shock, Thoughtseize, Cry. <laughs> Fetch Shock Thoughtseize. Yeah, it was great. He, uh, or no, he didn't fetch Shock Thoughtseize, but he definitely Thoughtseized and saw, uh, double Lightning Helix, Boros <laughs> Charm, Lightning Bolt. He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm at a virtual four. <laughs> yeah, after already putting himself down to 15 or 16, it was, it was great. I loved it. Every second of it. Now, on the flip side, when you're the Amulet Titan player and your opponent resolves an Ashiok, you have to throw everything you can at Ashiok to be able to continue your game plan as best as humanly possible, unless you're already far enough ahead that the Ashiok doesn't matter. And that's a really tough line to draw, because early on, before you resolve a Primeval Titan and you only have a Summoner's Pact in hand and not enough mana to pay for that Summoner's Pact, uh, yeah, you're basically sending your Dryad and your Secure Tribe Scout at that Ashiok every single turn because otherwise you just cannot cast Primeval Titan. But if you have a couple of zombies out, you have a Primeval Titan out, and you're not as reliant on searching out the lands when you attack with Titan, then suddenly it's a lot more acceptable for you to just leave that Ashiok on the field and just go straight at their face because if they're putting out Ashiok, they're not putting out blockers, so... Don't even worry about it and just smash their face. Hold on a second. Do you mean to tell me that Ashiok is problematic for Titan? <laughs> <laughs> me no likey Ashiok. I mean, does your deck really ever search? I mean, you only run like two or three fetch lands. There are turns where I pick <laughs> up my deck and don't put it down until I say pass turn. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I guess that, that counts sounds like That sounds like cheating to me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's shortcutting. It's fine. I check with my opponent. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. but yeah that definitely is uh, an important line to evaluate whether whether the planeswalker actually matters to what your game plan is and specifically how you win the game from where you are in your game plan 
You yeah. can have everything you need and just say, okay, your Teferi doesn't matter because I don't care about instance. I'm just going to smash your face. Yeah. Like, as long as you don't bounce every single creature I have, which Teferi can only do one at a time, chances are I don't care about Teferi that much. Like, I'm going to be pointing my burn spells at you anyways. If you tap out for Teferi, that just means you're not holding up counters. I'm okay with that. The big thing with whether or not to attack Planeswalkers or attack Face, um, you know, as as Dalton brought up, the Ren and Six and the Liliana, they really weren't doing too much for his opponent in terms of preventing them from losing the game, i.e. Dalton can win the game even if they're on the field. Uh, you know, you have to look at your game plan, what those Planeswalkers do, and that really determines whether or not they can stay on the battlefield. Yeah. And uh, the big one for me is obviously Tefri Hero of Hearthstone, the card that needs to be shift deleted for magic. Uh, because if you're playing a deck that has instant speed or flash things, obviously you need to get rid of that Tefri because, you know, it disrupts your game plan so much. But if they have... Okay, say you're playing against Mono Red and you have... I don't know, you had like your one or two incidental cards that gained you life or cards with lifelink in the first the first game, so they brought in a Tibble. But you don't really have that much life gain. You don't really care about the Tibble. Just just hit him in the face, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and for me, like I said, in hindsight, looking back, the Liliana wouldn't have mattered because I tend to get rid of all the cards in my hand in a reasonable amount of time. All of my creatures had more than one toughness, so I didn't have to worry about Ren and Six clearing any of them away. If Liliana sacrifice or makes me sacrifice a creature, then she's down to one, and I never have to worry about an ult anyways. Because, let's face it, if she gets back up to six, I am dead. That's for sure. So, from my threat assessment level, I really should have made those two a much lower priority than what I'd had them at. And, you know, in the moment, that's tough. You know, you see Ren and Six, you're like, oh my gosh, this is banned in Legacy. This has to be good, right? And it is. It's good. But it wasn't better than what I was doing at the time. It wasn't better for me to get rid of Ren and Six than it was to put four damage in my opponent's face. Right. If they're about to ultimate it, that's another story, though. Exactly. You know, they ultimate mm. either one of those planeswalkers, and you have a lot more of a struggle to mm-hmm. overcome than you would when they first resolve them. I was gonna say, in all fairness, with your deck, if it's past turn five or six and you haven't won yet, your chances of winning are very, very small. I- I'm not gonna say the odds are great. <laughs> they do still exist, though. I mean, yeah. What a uh, Boros charm off the top. That <laughs> Boros could... charm off the top has won me many, many games. That could theoretically, yeah, push you just over the edge. Yeah, the, the amount of times opponents are like, okay, I'm at four, I don't have to die to Bolt. I'm like, great, still dead. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah, the amount of times that my opponent goes, all right, we're good if you don't smash her off the top. I'll just flip the top <laughs> card. Look, it's a smasher. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and your opponent's like, Judge, she's looking at cards. Yeah, he can no, show them to you. You're still dead. I shortcutted killing you. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to concede? I'm just shortcutting killing you. <laughs> short just shortcut to where you can see the match but we haven't even shuffled up yet uh yes i'm proposing a shortcut <laughs> i'm so using that in my next event now i am inevitable i still like the uh i Ooh, still like the that's even better what is it? i will concede put sadness <laughs> on the stack awesome thanks for the discussion everyone 
hopefully that gets us a little bit better at running our lines through combat. And we are now going to go on to our weekly segment of the week. So for our weekly segment of the week, trademark. Thank you. Uh, we are going to be talking about some more serious stuff because as you're listening to this, uh, it's either Friday or Saturday. We're recording this on the evening of Thursday, March 12th, and the last 48 hours for us have been a bit of a madhouse with things getting canceled all over the place because of the coronavirus outbreak in the United States. Uh, Channel Fireball announced literally about, well, 24 hours ago, they announced At the time we record. Yeah. 24 hours ago, from when we're recording this, that GP Detroit, Sao Paulo, Louisville, and Palm Beach are all canceled. So basically going through the end of April, canceling all of the Magic Fests. And then, one hour ago from when we're recording, they also announced that Magic Fest Houston... Copenhagen, Charlotte, and Kitaki Yushu are also canceled. Along with that, Star City Games has canceled Syracuse, which was this weekend, and Baltimore, which was next weekend, with more updates to come, along with everybody in the world canceling everything. Broadway got canceled, for F's sake. I mean, things are happening, guys. Should I panic? I mean, Yes, no. panic and hoard all the toilet paper. Only at the disco. <laughs> Damn it, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> no, so at, at first the at first Channel Fireball events had a general game plan that they were going over. They were looking at taking a bunch of precautions to ensure that both players and staff would remain safe, having extra uh self-care items at events, ensuring that players had access to whatever they needed to be hygienic as well as even trying to separate tables further and keep matches farther apart. So they were looking at all of these different measures that they could take to ensure that the events would still happen. But things have gotten to the point where logistically it makes more sense for them to just cancel these events, which I can't blame them. After all, Channel Fireball Events is a tar- an organizer, they're a private entity, and they have a responsibility to their players to ensure their safety. And Definitely. who you know, I none of us on this show are lawyers, but I can only imagine the legal ramifications of hosting tournaments in which players could point to those tournament officials as the cause of you know contamination. Or I, I know, for example, uh, where I'm recording from, Indiana. They recently, our governor put out a statement who was advising against all large gatherings of more than 250 people that weren't required. So trying to host an event like a Magic Fest would not only be you know, possibly unsafe, possibly a liability for the organizers, but it could even go against what the state is recommending. And so I I really can't blame Channel Fireball events for what they're doing in these times and Star City Games and Nerd Rage Gaming as well. I know they've canceled a few of their events at this time, but man, it leaves us all in a pretty sour state, huh? Yeah, I mean, 
you were working this weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to be in Detroit. I was going to be in Louisville in two weeks, and I was super stoked for him. And now I I don't know what to do. But also, I personally have never really bought into digital magic. I prefer the, the paper play. I prefer being around people and having that environment. So now for these next few weeks, if I want to play any magic, it's going to be in a completely different forum. I, I guess, Brian, here's your opportunity to 5-0. You might not have a whole lot else going on. <laughs> I will be very interested to see. I, I wish they would release the data to know just how much like Magic Online and Magic Arena player rates are going to spike here soon. I think that would be some really fun data. They actually put out a poll. Uh, Magic Online's Twitter put out a poll earlier today asking people if they wanted to substitute out a flashback draft that they had scheduled for the Vintage Cube. Basically recognizing you're all going to be stuck home on your computers for a while, so let's give you something fun to play as opposed to a random flashback draft that like only half of you were even interested in. Hey, hey, Magic Online, I got this really cool Pioneer cube you can use. <laughs> Yo, seriously, let this me, cube is sweet. Just let <laughs> me get free entries for, like, the entire <laughs> time it's up. <laughs> but, yeah, so on top of that, uh, so Dalton mentioned where he's recording from. Not many of our listeners may know this, uh, at least not this specifically, but I'm recording from New York. In fact, I'm recording I from that. New Rochelle, New York. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dalton. <laughs> but uh, I am a listener. I I will say, uh, if you had not heard of New Rochelle before this week, you certainly have now because <laughs> it's basically I don't want to say ground zero, but like one of the biggest hotspots of contamination in the country. Where since the last episode that we put out, which came out on February 29th, <laughs> a few days later on March 2nd, a lawyer in New Rochelle was found to be positive for the coronavirus. Then they found out that it had spread to his family. Then they found out that his family went to a local uh, religious gathering and it started to spread from there. And now we have over 100 cases in a week. And that basically has triggered the entire state to go into a state of emergency. In fact, Broadway shows got canceled just straight out. They're not running any more Broadway shows for the rest of the month. The governor has actually banned any gatherings of over 500 people. So even if Star City Games wasn't proactive and going ahead to cancel Syracuse on their own, it would have gotten canceled out from under them too. So that also brings up a good point about a lot of these, you know, like Channel Fireball canceling the, these events ahead of time, you know, as soon as they can, because especially for you guys, say you were traveling or you had already made travel plans, which you already did, but for events farther out and all of a sudden they're canceled, you can't go. It's like, well, I made these plans. Like, you know, what do I do? do I, you know, getting refunds, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Like, it just becomes more of a hassle. Goodness, I cannot remember what it was. It's something scheduled for June that's been canceled here in Indiana. And somebody at work was talking about it. And I was like, well, that makes sense because you don't want people planning travel and hotels and stuff for this and then you know, it'd be canceled, before, you know, so they might as well just cancel it now, take the hit. Yeah. Through the grapevine, we've been hearing that a lot of travel companies are being pretty okay about helping you cancel or reschedule your travel arrangements. 
uh, thankfully, because like I was on staff for Palm Beach and that was going to be a pain if I was just out all that money that I uh, paid for a flight. So, Oh, definitely. But you also have to look at on the other side, if they kind of didn't do that, um, would they have any customers when this all is over? <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Actually, I think that's a really positive thing as to why CFB and Star City Games and even Wizards canceling the Pro Tour Finals and rescheduling a lot of their events you can try to run these events if you want, but if everybody's staying home because they don't want to go to a room that's packed with a thousand plus players who they don't know where they've been or how hygienic they are, then you're not going to have much of an event at that point anyway. So better just be safe, run the uh, event whenever everybody can actually be safe. Yeah, or if the government says, by the way, you can't do this. <laughs> also, yes. Like, you cannot hold this event. I'm sorry that you spent, you know, thousands of dollars securing this venue and getting all your staff out here, but uh, shut it down and go home. <laughs> well, it also just looks bad, too. I mean, just the optics of trying to do this while there's thousands that are all sick with this disease and... They're trying to run these run these events just kind of it just feels like it would be tone deaf if they went on with these. Definitely. I mean, it, it really just feel peak American, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the thing I want to really emphasize for everybody listening to this who's feeling stuff like first off, we empathize because everybody here is also feeling the same things. You know, I'm literally in the middle I'm about a mile away from a containment zone where the National Guard got sent to. And like Hey, they on, they only came in to bring people food, all right? Yeah, absolutely. They're but not, I mean they're like, not they're not walking out with guns and police barricades and walling people in yet, right? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but, and, and that's that, that's exactly what I was getting at. Like, yes, the National Guard has been deployed. Yes, there's containment zones. Yes, things are being canceled left and right. There's no NHL, NBA. There's a lot of things happening, but it's not because it's the end of the world. It's because they don't want it to be the end of the world. They want to contain it. They want to make sure that people aren't taking unnecessary risks and just give it the time that it needs to run its course, not be this crazy outbreak that is growing exponentially because people can't prevent it from spreading and make it so that we can all get back to our day to day as soon as we're done. So like, yes, flatten that curve, yo. Yeah, exactly. Everything seems crazy right now. And it is. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's plenty of anxiety and, and plenty of feelings that you are totally justified in feeling right now. But remember, everybody seems to be doing the right thing. And as long as everybody just kind of follows along and understands what needs to be done and goes with it, you know, six months from now, we'll be fine. Take the precautions. Make sure that you are not taking any unnecessary risks like going to a giant magic tournament where you can get a thousand people sick just by showing up. And to quote Shaun of the Dead, hole up at the Winchester, have a cold pint and wait for all this to blow over. Man, I got to say my introverted self has been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> right? I mean, I've They're been like... playing most of my magic online anyway, so like things is normal for me i'm excited to see wizards give more online tournament play a little bit more of a uh, boost up over the next month or two. Oh, absolutely yeah and they're <laughs> like stay indoors don't go anywhere and i was like so keep doing what i'm doing got it <laughs> i mean if we've got a little bit more time for streaming we'd probably get maybe one or two more stream viewers mm. 
And that's a great segue for us to finish up on. We will be putting out much more content because half of us may be at home and self-isolating just to be safe, especially if you're near a containment zone. So we'll be doing more streaming and a couple more videos and trying to put out some more content to hopefully entertain you for some time that you may end up being working from home or whatever else you're doing. So to find all that, Make sure to follow us on facebook.com slash mtgteamce or on Twitter at mtgteamce for team collective effort. Look for us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash mtgteamce as well as our Instagram. You can probably guess what that is, mtgteamce. And if you want to send us some ideas for some content you'd like us to see do for this uh, kind of quiet period in competitive magic, feel free to send us an email with your ideas at teamcollectiveeffort at gmail.com. With that, thank you all for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Keep an eye out on our social media for our next batch of content. And we will see you all very soon. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you later. Bye. I'm going to go eat my cookies. See ya. Bye. Don't take my toilet paper. It sounds bad to say don't visit family, but especially especially like your elderly family, you could be a carrier and not know it and not have any symptoms. It's you know, we have face we have FaceTime, we have Skype. Make an effort to still call grandma, but maybe not drop by on a whim and see her in person because you might have get you her. Tried really to sick. get your grandma to use FaceTime. <laughs> All right, so for our weekly segment of the week. Ahem. Look, Emrakul's forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my B. Focus. <laughs> all right. So, what were all the bands? Once upon a time, in modern. Oh yeah, I should probably know what they are too. Mm. Things in formats that we don't care about. Oko got banned again, right? <laughs> you wouldn't download Banana Bread. Yes, I would. <laughs> I would download a lot of things. Let's just leave it at that.